You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Hello again, this is Annie Rose Malamud, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. And this month, I'm talking about monstrous birth all month on my Patreon. And I'm here with uh, artist, longtime mutual internet friend, Nayland Blake. And we're talking about the first four alien movies, or as I like to call them, a study in lesbian motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, 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 hi I'm so, I'm so, uh, I'm so touched to be on here. I'm so touched so. to have you. <laughs> Very sincerely, I really am. Um, Nayland, before we get into it, could you introduce the listeners to who you are and what you do? I'm sure a lot of people have heard of you who listen to this sure. podcast. Sure. Um, I'm a. Uh, I'm an artist and uh, educator, um, and uh, an occasional instigator. <laughs> the good days. Um, I've I've taught in um, uh, I've, I've taught uh, in colleges and at kink events and um, kind of all over the place. Um, and uh and made a lot of work since the early 80s that has been very um concerned with um queerness and uh inter interraciality i guess and um and a lot of Im- uh, bodily stuff. So these movies are uh, really up my um, various alleys. Various up alleys. And out of my various alleys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also like a purveyor of crackpot theories. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm very excited for it to talk about like, um uh monstrousness and 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 lesbian motherhood but i'm also uh, i also have a crackpot theory about the alien movies uh oh my god i cannot wait i can't wait i love crackpot (laughs) theories (laughs) they've got me where i am today yeah (laughs) that's really exciting well the first the, the, the way that Nayland and I discussed how we were going to talk about this movie is I tweeted uh, that William Hawes quote from when I did the uh, that I discovered when I did the episode on Caligula way back. And what William Hawes says in that book, which, you know, he's talking about the history of pornography and um, censorship and film. And he says his his. You know, people are always debating, like, what is the difference between uh, erotica and porn? Or what is the difference between, like, a sex scene and a movie and porn? And uh, that was a big debate around the film Caligula, which had, like, literal porn in it. And 
what William Hawes says is that porn has to, to be porn, there has to be penetration and it's wet. And <laughs> when I said that, Nayland commented, okay, so alien confirmed por- is porn. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, now we have to talk about this because I've always wanted to talk about these movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, my favorite one is the first one, but Nayland had a lot of thoughts on the third movie. And I was like, okay, let's just do these four movies because I think mm-hmm. together um, – you know, watching them this this time, or I've seen all of them before, but watching them this time around and seeing how they all fit together and how each director approaches the story was really interesting. So I thought that would be good to talk about in totality. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and also, it's a little tr- it's 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 a little strange now. Um, I mean. I, with the exception of of Alien, I saw these as they came out. Um, uh, so I saw I I saw Aliens in the theater before. I guess before I saw Alien on, uh, like on on VHS or whatever. Um, but the cuts that you can find now, um are some of them are very distinct from what was released theatrically um and so that's i think that's an interesting thing for us to kind of get into yeah i definitely want to talk about that too because there's a generational gap here with our knowledge of these films because i saw them years after they had come out and Mm -hmm. newland was watching them as they were released and the culture around like the theatrical cut has changed so much you know mm-hmm. now that like quote unquote nerd culture is the sort of dominant culture mm-hmm. you know people want the full version of movies even if it's like two and a half hours long so it's actually harder to find the theatrical cuts of these mm-hmm. movies than it is to find the full director's cuts now yeah, and sometimes they're not always better. Like mm. when you like the director's cut you find is not is not always better. Um uh and uh we can leave some of that. Like I like there's a there's a director's cut of Alien that I think is not quite as good as like the release cut. Like it doesn't have a whole lot of difference to it. Um, and and it kind of got made for um, the DVD release, the four way release, uh, the the what was it the 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 tetralogy <laughs> release, which of course I owned. Amazing <laughs> when it first came out, because um, it was the only way to see these all these alternate cuts and and some of the deleted footage. But um, yeah, I I do think. Um, in many ways, Alien, uh, the, the its original cut is is the release cut. The theatrical cut is is um, really sort of the best way to see it. Interesting. Well, let's so let's talk about the first Alien. So, mm-hmm. um, when did you when did you see it? Do you remember how you saw it? Do you remember how you felt about it when you saw it? I I. I, uh, I, I'm, 
I must have seen it on VHS um, after Aliens came out. I sort of knew about it um, and 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 sort of knew the beats of it. Maybe I saw, no, maybe I saw it on video before I saw Aliens. Maybe that was it. Like Aliens was coming out, and I was like, okay, I have never seen Alien. I have to see it. Everybody always talks about it. Um, and it is a, it, I, I, I like it because it's such a brilliant horror movie and I, and, and in part, there's a lot to talk about thematically, but I think it does, um, a few things formally that are just really brilliant and it's very hard to recognize them now because we're so familiar with it so um to me it actually has a lot like my my most recent watch i was like this has a lot in common with psycho mm. um and uh you know, an, another movie about um, m- monstrous mother. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but also structurally, it has a huge amount um, in common with it. So here's it. So so I I would ask ask you the same question. Like, what's kind of your experience of it narratively? Like, did you sort of know what was going to happen when you saw it for the y- first time? Yeah. So the first time I saw it, I was really little. Um, uh-huh. yeah, um, I grew up in a house with parents or mom who was always playing horror movies and it was one of those classics that I just saw from a very young age mm. and I found it absolutely terrifying, like more mm-hmm. so than a lot of other films I had seen. And I remember even when I went to Universal Studios when I was a kid and there was like an MGM ride and mm. you go through each of the scenes. So like you're in Casablanca, you're in Tarzan, and mm-hmm. then you get to the alien scene. And mm-hmm. that was before I had seen the movie, I think. And I was just like, well, this is the scariest thing on earth. Like mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. <laughs> just seeing the astronaut like the animatronic alien Mm -hmm. um and then so i had had that experience before i saw the movie so when i saw the movie i had an idea of how it would feel to be in the presence of this thing Mm -hmm. Mm because i had already been in the presence of an animatronic alien so i think but it was also like very sexual to me obviously Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of, I think it is for a lot of queer people. I think mm-hmm. the, the xenomorph is the origin of a lot of queer monster fuckers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just this like powerful feminine figure. And I think why the, the first movie sticks in my brain so much is because it's so different from the other movies. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you said, it is a pure horror film. Yeah. It is a horror film with sci-fi elements and the rest mm-hmm. of the movies are sci-fi movies. Yeah. So, sci-fi action yeah well i think the way that the horror works in it is um particularly bound up in the story because we really it it's the thing that was so shocking about it at the time was that there 
had never been a monster movie where the monster changed. Mm. So it so it's it's now in our mind it's very easy for us to go to follow the progression supposedly like the life cycle of of uh of of what an alien is right um but at the time there there was no roadmap and the movie does this really interesting thing that the, one of the things i think it has in common with psycho is that it's the whole first part of the movie leads you to think that it's a movie about john hurt right like John Hurt's the first person that you see, the person that you sort of spend the most time with, kind of waking up. It's there's a bunch of sort of point of view things with him. He's the person that we sort of follow on the expedition. And then um and then he gets taken out. And then we start thinking, wait a minute, well, maybe the movie is about Tom Skerritt. Um, who's sort of like, okay, who's the captain of the crew? And then we start sort of following his point of view. And um, and it is only um, until really the final third of the movie that we realize that the movie is about Sigourney, that it's, that, that, um, that it's about Ripley. Right. Um, and at each step along the way, the alien transforms so intensely that you you can't place it and track it as a viewer and i think that's partially the thing that is like this time through there's there's i think an amazing um uh, and and I, I guess this is one of the things where I link it up with the thing in terms of like body horror, that 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 body horror is all about the collapsing of boundaries between interior and exterior, and um, and so that every orifice is a potential entrance, you know, and you know uh, that that our own our own inability to maintain our own bodily integrity is the thing that is both um, terrifying and also erotic about these situations. And alien does it by giving you this creature that looks like one thing and you think, okay, that, so that's what the, that's what the danger is. And now I have to look low, like it's a little thing. I have to look low for it. And then it's like, wait no it's inside of you and but it's still little so okay so we have to look around for like this little thing then suddenly it's big and there's this whole thing that starts to happen where the the you know design of the ship is um echoing the creature's forms um and so you by the end of it um you have no way of actually being able to figure out like wh what ripley should be afraid of right right except she should be afraid of everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yes and also 
Yeah, I mean, you summarize that perfectly, like the idea of body horror is any of your holes being invaded. And Mm -hmm. this is a movie all about holes being invaded. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I really love that you mentioned Psycho, too, because um, I to interpret or to talk about the themes of this movie, I relied heavily on Barbara Creed's book, The Monstrous Feminine. Mm -hmm. And have you read it? I assume Mm -hmm. so. And she talks a lot about Psycho in that as well. And she has a whole chapter on alien she has a chapter on psycho um so to kind of i want to give my listeners a summary of this of the of the monstrous feminine and that that concept and mm-hmm. uh barbara creed relies very heavily on psychoanalysis uh, in this book which I always find very confusing, but you sort of just have to go with the kind of what you feel are like crazy speculations that psychoanalysts are connections that they're making to sort of follow their train of thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Creed relies a lot on Julia Kristeva's long essay, The Powers of Horror. Uh, She explains the concept of abjection. Uh, Kristeva describes, which is uh, something that you work with a lot, the concept of abjection Mm -hmm. in your work. So Kristeva describes abjection as the feeling an individual experiences or is confronted by both mentally and as a body, what Kristeva calls one's corporal reality, corporeal reality, or a Mm -hmm. breakdown in this distinction between what is the self and what is the other. So it is being confronted with something that is destroys your ego basically destroys the Mm -hmm. self so for example the horror that human beings feel over the sight of a human corpse because it reminds one of one's own mortality and of eventual decay uh the queer body has also been proposed as abject um because of you know among many things because of the relationship to the aids epidemic Mm -hmm. Um, so using this framework, Creed breaks down different kinds of abject women in horror. So in the Alien movie, she calls this the archaic mother, mm-hmm. the mother who castrates and destroys the fear of the vaginal other. That is the through line through psychoanalytic theory. She talks a lot about um, the primal scene. So the the primal scene being uh, when the idea that the the child walks in on the parents having sex and this is abject because it reminds the child of the way that the the child came into the world mm-hmm. uh, among you know among other things. So I want to talk about that I want to talk about the monstrous feminine in relation to alien. Um, I did not usually on this podcast, I get very into the details of the productions on these films. Mm-hmm. And for this one, I got a lot more into themes I was thinking about in relation to them because there are so many documentaries about these movies already. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people can go 
seek that out if that's something that they're very interested in because these are very popular and like the nerds who are really into this can cover that so much better than I ever could. Yeah. <laughs> unless Nayland, unless you have things you want to add about the production. No, I mean I think when we get to three, there's there's um it it is it is a famously fraught production. Yes. And there would and there probably are some good things to talk about there, but but. I, um, I, 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 I agree with Creed in that I feel like films are complex documents of the unconscious <laughs> as right. much as they are the, right. the result of like crass commercial conscious action. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, some I, of the I, things, I, some of the like, you know, the tangent she goes on. I'm like, what is she talking about? But I'm here yeah. for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for example, it's like the the thinking about like the archaic, like thinking about the the um you know i mean this is sort of my generation of theory mm-hmm. and and my feeling for all of this stuff is that it's generally bad news if you are invested in maintaining the phallic order mm. so um so it's like um the you know the primal scene the experience of the of of the primal scene is bad news um if you're interested in maintaining patriarchy right <laughs> it's it's possibly celebratory news <laughs> like <laughs> if you are queer exactly yes in, like upending that order absolutely i mean that's something i've been talking about a lot with my patrons is this is a very second wave bio essentialist mm-hmm. framework mm-hmm. of looking at these films um it's very old school feminist psychoanalytic theory mm-hmm. so to come at these you have to be coming from the vantage point of like a traditional patriarchal framework mm-hmm. to really understand the conclusions that are drawn here mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which i think could be hard for people my age and younger to relate to or understand um yeah. Yeah, it's very old school. And and also I do think there I I mean the and this is where I think there's a really interesting move between the first and the second film. Mm. In relationship to um in in relationship to queerness and in relationship to uh to um uh, gender and the sort of maintain the maintenance of that order like like if alien is the film where all of that is thrown into question um aliens is the film where all of that is um played with but but um but the sort of phallic order of the patriarchy is reaffirmed right Right, that that it's like that 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 Ripley um, emerges from that not as um, somebody of confused gender, but as a mother who has a proper child and a and and a a proper 
uh, partner, right? Mm. Has two partners, really, because she's she's got. Um, yeah, she's like in a throuple. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, she's got she's got Bishop and she's got um, uh, Hicks. Yeah. Right. Um, who are who are both wounded, but you know they're they together they they, they make a whole man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I, but I want to sort of stay with the, um, like, I, I, I really, I, I love sort of the nuance of the scares in Alien and how they really are so much around sex. What would you like to do? Just what you've been doing, Ash. Nothing. I've got access to Mother now, and I'll get my own answers. Thank you. Like, it, like I remember my first time watching Alien and watching the scene uh, of Ash's attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know, for those, I mean, I'm 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 assuming that everybody can sort of summon all of these sequences to mind. To <laughs> yeah, be, well, tell us right, anyway. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Ripley, like after um. Uh, after Dallas dies attempting to um, flush out the alien and it's down to um, uh, Angela Cartwright's character, Yafet Kodo's character, um, Ripley and, uh, and, and Ash, um, she says to him, like, just, you know, do whatever it is you've been doing. Um, I'm, I, I've got access to mother now I can go get my own answers. Um, and she discovers that, um, the, that the mission is, um, mother's idea that it is that, that, that mother is the person who sent them there. And so, so the sort of monstrous mother of the ship is, is revealed. Right. And, um, and Ash appears next to her and it says, there's an explanation for everything. Like is there in the shot, um, and they start having uh, they start having this sort of confrontation and fight, and he chases her into somebody's bunk, which we've never seen before. That's decorated with like um, uh, pinup magazines. It's basically decorated with porn. Mm -hmm. So uh, some somebody's been in there masturbating. We don't know whose bunk it is, um, and all the. Uh, the other thing I saw today that I'd never noticed before is that there's a small picture of fried eggs, like oh up gosh. at the top, like at the top <laughs> never of that, noticed where there's like all the porn. There's like a like a torn out and pasted up photograph of three fried eggs. That's famous eggs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, uh, eggs are so prominent just, in this I'm just, film. I'm just gonna jerk off to of those <laughs> eggs. But that's also crazy because the egg is such a prominent feature yeah, in this exactly. film too so, so there's like there's a, a great little bit of mise-en-scene and he rolls up a magazine and basically um starts like fucking her throat with it like it's basically like the same attack as the um as the face hugger you know the the other crew members come back find him and and they all start fighting him and uh Yafakoto 
hits his head with, I think, a fire extinguisher, basically knocks his head clean off of his shoulders, and all of this stuff starts spurting out. Like milk. Yeah, this, like, white fluid. Um, And... Uh, and I remember my first time through being like, wait, does that mean he's an alien? Like, there's, like, you're, like he's, he's not, or we find out he's a robot, but the, but the, technolo- the, the technology that they're using for a robot is all sort of fiber optics and hydraulics that could easily be like the new form of the alien, since we don't know like what shape it's going to end up. Right. Maybe um, it's like an imitated imitation alien like in the thing or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and so that's like that to me is such a brilliant additional kind of horror, right? They could easily have been like, you know, they whacked him and then there were like cogs and something spinning, but it's like no, this is you know, so He's, a, you know, he's like a creature of mother right. um, who's sort of coated white in the way that she's coated white. Um, and uh, and um, and is connected with the alien, you know, um, and things like that that are so thoughtful are thing are this, exactly the sorts of things that get dropped when you get to aliens true yeah i mean that whole the i find the destruction of the android that sequence in the first movie to be so disgusting mm-hmm. and i mean that the that milky fluid it's basically seminal fluid yeah. you know yeah. it's and exactly I, yeah i do love in in the first movie how the movie is so like explicitly about rape, but not. It's mm-hmm. it shows you, it doesn't tell you, mm-hmm. and it's also not a one to one. It is more like about rape in the sense of how rape functions on a bodily level, mm-hmm. like how it is body, how rape is body horror, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously that's the most one of the most brilliant parts of the of mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's maybe unintentionally feminist masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, part of when he was casting this film also, which I actually didn't know, was that the crew was all unisex and all the parts were interchangeable for men and women. Yeah. So it wasn't actually – they didn't know that Sigourney Weaver was going to be the main character because they auditioned men and women for her part. Right. Uh which is yeah. really interesting um, because Sigourney Weaver in the Alien series is one of the most iconic feminist characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really, they kind of, it never quite reaches the unintentional brilliance that it does in the mm-hmm. first movie like in aliens and alien 3 and alien resurrection they're like this is a feminist movie you know like right. this is a character right. who is a feminist and uh, yeah. you know she's badass and in the first one it's kind of just like very quiet and mm-hmm. leads you down different paths like with tom scarrett's character and john Hurt's character like you said and then we arrive at this final girl, which yeah. is one of the first really true final girls mm-hmm. in a horror film starting in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
and and I think that it's um, I remember a lot of uh, it it the thing that's sort of odd now. I remember a huge amount of critique of the film um, that was centered around like, oh my god! So she gets to this final confrontation and she's like strips down to um, to nothing. Um, which is like logically explained in the film. It's not it it it's it's what they where she believes that she's just gonna go back into the pod and go to sleep. Um, and uh, and that's what you wear to do it. Um, uh, but um, but I remember there was a lot of stuff around this being this weird, like sort of cheesecake titillating moment. Which is um, so silly because she's so androgynous. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's like that's an that's another thing, right? And she's wearing all white at that moment, so there's a lot of the the film really opens up with this sort of prowling around the Nostromo, um, which I also this time around I was like, okay, the design of the Nostromo from the outside is not unlike the Bates Motel. Not the motel, but the Bates house. Ooh, That's tell me about peaked. that. Well, that if you it has those four sort of like big refinery towers that that um you know it's it's hauling all this ore and it's and it has these blast furnaces. There's four of them. And those have this similar sort of um uh shape um and uh and sort of ominous like you know gothic tone that's not unlike the bates uh the bates house um and uh and on the interior we see spaces that are either the sort of white spaces of the of the crew and then the the black coded spaces which are the spaces of sort of work or the engines or the and so the there's this sort of like even within the the ship there's places where you can see everything easily which are the light spaces and spaces that have all of these nooks and crannies which are dark Right. Which are sort of the where the border has broken down between interior and exterior. Yes. And there's all of these pipes and ducting and and places where things could hide. Um and the and just like in a traditional we, gothic house narrative. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so it's like so it in a in a weird way. Um, the film sets up that you're it's a haunted house movie where you're actually you start out in the haunted house mm. you know they go they go to the you know they go and pick up the thing from the from the planet but it's but but really it's sort of already haunted yeah. and, and it's haunted by the spirit of mother who is this sort of um, you know, who is the Feminized spirit of the company. Howl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the feminine howl. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
they wake up in what is like a womb, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and they immediately call the ship mother. We're all automatically in that mm-hmm. realm. Uh, Barbara Creed says that when they go into the uh, the abandoned ship off the Nostromo to to and find all those eggs, that is when they witness the primal scene. Mm. Uh, that is when when Cain peers into the egg, he is um, collapsing the border uh, between mm. the abject, the corporeal form and the abject by peering mm. into the primal scene of the egg and uh, is, you know, castrated. Mm-hmm. as punishment mm-hmm. and then the other two crew members who are observing are like the ch- are like the children observing the, this other primal scene of rape mm. uh so you know it's all yeah all very very sexy and freudian well and to me as well this time around the um the pilot um that they discover before they discover the egg chamber also resembles the um the uh mrs bates the corpse of mrs bates that's at the end of the movie that sort of desiccated corpse and shrunken you know with the sort of hollowed out eyes um that's that's in the rocking chair um at at the end of psycho um and so that was like it felt like another echo for me you know of like this this um uh, sort of, you know, uncanny, you know, and they sort of go through like, a, oh, it looks like it burst out from inside, you know, something exploded out from inside of him. Um, they, they're, they're constantly calling it him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's, I, I think that that's, um, that's really crucial. The other thing, the fir- Kane's first line of dialogue is, I feel dead. Right, like like when they first wake when they first wake up and they're all sitting around the table, like sort of. Oh yeah, you, such you know, good foreshadowing. It's sort of the first line of dialogue you hear is him saying, "I feel dead." Oh, there's a ton and, of foreshadowing in this too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much everything that happens gets set up in these little moments mm-hmm. between the crew before the horror really starts going down. Uh, I also just am really like in love with this idea of the Nostromo as a haunted house because there is so much other psychoanalytic theory about the haunted house as a womb Mm -hmm. uh which this entire ship is like a womb and then the ship they go into has to to, when they when they get the when the face hugger comes out of the egg looks like Mm -hmm. a gigantic vaginal opening Mm -hmm. uh so it this movie kind of like literalizes all of the gothic horror that came before it in previous decades it's kind of like the logical um like sci-fi version of that mm-hmm. so yeah I didn't even think when, of that. when when kane wakes up from the face hugger and again they're sort of asking him how how he is he or what he remembers he's like oh i had some terrible dream of smothering you know which <laughs> like well smothering <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah i mean the Um, there's this idea of like this all-consuming mother i have this quote here that um barbara creed 
uses in The Monstrous Feminine from uh, philosopher Roger Dadoon, uh, mm-hmm. fetishism and horror film. And he describes the archaic mother as a mother thing situated beyond good and evil, beyond all organized forms and all events. This is a totalizing and oceanic mother, a shadowy and deep unity, evoking in the subject the anxiety of fusion and of disillusion. A mother who comes before the discovery of the essential balance of the phallus. Mm. The mother is nothing but a fantasy in as much as she is only ever established as an omnipresent an all-powerful totality, an absolute being. So basically, mm-hmm. mother as void, like mm-hmm. the great mother that we are all born from. So many ancient cultures have that idea mm-hmm. of the great oceanic mother. And this film, I mean, just the even the idea of humans being in space mm-hmm. and not on this corporeal realm... Mm-hmm. It's already so, um, like, oh, almost, there's something so ancient and scary about that. Such mm-hmm. a, you know, it's abject also for a human being to be in space. Yeah. Well, and also they are to, to you know, um, I, I always love it when we get a bit of Marx in our, in our, in our Freud um, and, vo- and vice versa. They are... Um, they are in a state of alienation from each other. They're they're as a like as a crew. They're not a family. They're yes, not. Yeah. They have no um, affection for each other or bonds with each other. They're they are they're they're um, they see their roles as purely transactional. It's a very um, anti-capitalist film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it does, it sort of leads to my, my thinking about Alien 3, which is, um, which is sort of my, my crackpot theory about it, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, so let, yeah, let's get to Aliens. We homed in on its beacon and found something never recorded once in over 300 surveyed worlds. A creature that gestates inside a living human host. These are your words and has concentrated acid for blood. That's right. Look, I can see where this is going, but I'm telling you that those things exist. Thank you, Officer Ripley, that will be all. Please, you're not listening to me. Kane, the crew member, Kane, who went into that ship, said he saw thousands of eggs there, thousands. Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. So Aliens 1986, it's the second movie in the installment directed by James Cameron. It's got a very different vibe than the first Mm -hmm. movie. How would you compare this vibe as opposed to the last vibe we were talking about? Well, Cameron, I I think, is very smart about what he's doing. He... he, um, ended up um a lot of people thought there should not be a sequel and there and there's a lot of ways that you could be like yeah there's no reason to be a sequel um and um and uh cameron ended up um coming up with a script treatment and his talking about it about um aliens was well if it you know if alien is like the 
um, haunted house ride, then this has to be the roller coaster. And it is, um, and the and and Aliens is very much that it is, um, it is an action movie. Um, I never, I I I um, uh, I I think the thing to me about Cameron is that he mistakes, um girl boss action heroism for uh, for actual feminism yeah. and 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 he's and and he does not he never wants to actually dissolve gender he's he's very much into um reaffirming a gender binary um uh, but saying like you know <laughs> you know women can be patriarchs too so i mean it's but... very like heterosexual feminism and that it's yeah it's like believe women you know it has a yeah. very like heavy-handed sort of believe women message yeah. in the beginning culminating in this girl boss ending. yeah <laughs> well and this and and you know and then there's other sorts of unfortunate things right there's um you know, there's the really unfortunate brown face performance of uh, Naomi Grossman, who's who's, you know, who, so bad. Yeah, and and um, and not something that was talked about at the time. I remember, like, mm. it, like everyone, people were just like, "Oh yeah, Vasquez is such a badass. Vasquez is the best." Like, you know, without yeah. necessarily oh, looking Jeanette at Jeanette Goldstein, by the way, I know. Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah. That's I rem- right. I Na- remember Naomi because, Grossman is yeah. is the actress on um, American Horror Story. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Jeanette another Goldstein. Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I remember when when I just recently rewatched this, I completely forgot about the brown face, and mm-hmm. um, then I was like, okay, Jeanette Goldstein in the long tradition of Jews playing racially ambiguous or latinx characters like what's the closest we can get to that without actually hiring a person of color yeah it is weird because it's like this is it's it it is it is not hard to find latinx actors at this absolutely not at this point and this Um, series actually makes a point there is always um there are always very like uh reasonable black male characters in yes. these movies yeah um who well, yeah bo- who like unite with ripley yeah yafa koto's character is like says everything sensibly yes like it <laughs> he's like, like this is not like, in my contract i don't want to yeah. do this <laughs> yeah we shouldn't go it's not yeah. in my contract yeah um, why don't they freeze him like, yeah. why, like, <laughs> like, like he's like a cassandra the whole movie yeah this is a place where the extended cut is interesting um, because it spells out certain stuff that's that's very easy to lose track of in the action um, of the film. So and and but also it does like this weird underlining thing like it 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 makes it very clear that Ripley had a daughter like it gives Ripley a sort of classic post Spielbergian 
um, backstory, which is that, oh, Ripley was a mother and she never got to see her child grow up. And so she has a vested interest. Like She has a hole in her heart. Right. That yeah. must be filled with, with children, with motherhood. So she gets presented as the sort of proper mother. Right, a sort of mother warrior in this film, right? Ultimately, in composed uh, in contrast with the the dark mother, or even maybe we can even go so far as to say the black mother. To be honest, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, as an action film, it's it is really impeccably put together. One thing sort of leading to another, leading to another, leading to another. Um. I think that they, you know, but this time around, it's like, it's harder to root for the Marines. I hate them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so mean to Ripley in the beginning. I'm like, I don't care about these people. I can, I forgot how annoying they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by the Rosa Klebb. Who's in the who's who's in the meeting in the corporate meeting? Oh yes. <laughs> who's who's the one who's like a creature that lays an egg inside of a host? These are your words, <laughs> like yeah. like that she's <laughs> you know that that she's there at the table. I'm like. Okay. I know that girl boss executive in the future. I mean, in the future, this vision is so bleak too. Like in the future, yeah. women are still completely subjugated. Like, yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it. And this is, I, I will say that um, that the thing that um, that Cameron really picks up on is the sort of anti corporate message, yes. right? Yeah, this um, is still also like an, a, I would say, anti-corporate film as, you know, as much yeah. as, you know, it's less radical than the first one just because it's always, to me, something is always going to be less radical when it just tells you instead of show, showing you um, mm -hmm. as it does in the first movie. You know, you draw that conclusion on your own. Um, right. Whereas in Aliens, it's a lot more heavy handed. And then, of course, the presence of the military industrial complex. Well, and and. And in contrast to the alienation of the crew of the Nostromo, we're given the sort of the, the, the brothers in arms camaraderie of the Marines, right? And they're presented as kind of salt of the earth because they've been tested by combat, whereas their, their leader hasn't been, right? He's, he's never, he's, he's gone on, only two combat drops, including the one that they're currently on. Right. Right. And all the rest of his are simulated and they're, and, and so he's like, you know, a, a, he's almost as bad as the corporate jerk who's with them. And with Ripley, he's not a real soldier. He's not, he doesn't, he's, you know, um, in some ways kind of coded as effeminate and indecisive. Yeah, there's a lot. This movie does so much more. You can tell in the first one that it was randomly casted of like mm. who they wanted, you know, who they thought was best for each part. And in this one, it's much more. You mm. can you can tell much more that people are coded. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the 70s were still coming out of this like art house. Um 
you know, horror movie also as an art house film moment, mm-hmm. even though, of course, it's a huge blockbuster, but everything's inspired by everything. And then in the 1980s, films get a lot more um, rigid again mm-hmm. with their, you know, their typecasting or stereotyping mm-hmm. of characters. And this is kind of very much in- indicative of that. I mean, even I was even noticing on my watch of this, I was like, I don't really know how I feel about the Paul Reiser character um, mm. being the stereotype of a treacherous Jew. Jew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It seemed yeah. so obvious to me on this rewatch. I couldn't believe I hadn't really noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah, who's really sort of, who's, who's yeah, um, you know, Weasley. Well, it's interesting to sort of think about this in relationship, say, to RoboCop, right? Where those themes are there, um, but that the that that they're not um, played out um, by the actors in a like Verhoeven is so much more um, skeptical of uh, the the sort of um, camaraderie and and idea of um, a sort of the wedding of the corporate and the military, right. Yes, I mean, Paul Verhoeven is so, um, <laughs> like, cynical about yeah. that in a way that this movie just, it's just yeah. not. It has a very hopeful ending, mm-hmm. um, which is tarnished in the next film, but we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> well, can I, I want to just, um, I, I also want to say, um, for me personally, it's like Cameron's career is, is all downhill after Piranha 2. <laughs> like I love Piranha Two. It's uh, to me, it's like brilliant, and um, and uh, like like a really good exploitation movie. I love um, the Piranha movies. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and I mean, come on, like what, like it's a it's such a brilliant solution to the problem, right? It's like, okay, well, if the creature's in the water, then you just don't go in the water and you're fine. It's like, okay, well, how do we solve that? <laughs> All right, we'll make them fly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so great. Yeah, I mean, you were saying something interesting before we recorded about James Cameron, which is it's hard to kind of enjoy this movie knowing everything that comes after in his career. Yeah. Would you, can you yeah. elaborate on that? <laughs> I, I mean, I just think that his um his bombast has just grown with his success and um and i i his his films are just so tiresome at this point you know um and and i i think he's you know, somebody who was like a really potentially great pulpy filmmaker who got too much success. And so the things that he ends up championing are exactly the things that I'm not interested in, in, in movies. Mm. And that is the sort of narrative upholding of patriarchy the the assertion that everyone desires the same family configuration um that that um i mean one of the things to to bring it back to creed was that the excitement about theorizations of the of the abject was that it 
offered a subject position that could exist as a refutation of Reagan's America. And, and ultimately, I feel like the, um, the sort of technological G-wizzism of Cameron ends up reaffirming the, uh, the, the money well-spent values of Reaganism. So, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm interested in where things are crummy and dirty and fall apart. And, um, and, and even, um, like between comparing the two films, like Scott's dirt is better than Cameron's dirt. Yep. <laughs> like Scott's dirt is really dirty. It's disgusting. Know. The first movie yeah. is gross. Like I, yeah. it's really wet and yeah. gooey. And, yeah, and weirdly enough, like Cameron's is kind of polished. It is. Yeah. I mean, I know H.R. Geiger was not involved with the creature design on this one, and mm-hmm. he didn't. He did not like it. Um, and I, I actually was thinking. I never thought about it before, really, but I was like, I actually don't like that they created this hive mm-hmm. with, the, with the queen at the center. You know, it almost feels like they're emphasizing this the, the misogynist themes like a little too much. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, now there's a queen and a hive and Ripley is like the good queen and this right. is the bad queen and she has her good child and these are the bad children. And yeah, it's just very kind of like matchy-matchy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of like the change in the... Because the, the creature changes in each movie. It, it's true, but the big difference between the two is that in the first one, again, to go back to that point, you never knew what it was going to be next. Um, here, we, we uh, utterly understand like what each phase of the alien's life looks like. And even though there's there's um, you know there's there's um, some design change in the final xenomorphs, and we get like this other thing that we had not seen before, which is the queen. It's still presented to us in a way that we can really see all of it. Mm-hmm. Like we can, like like we like in the in the course of the film, we can apprehend. Um, the structure, the shape of it, the exterior of it, so we know what to be on the lookout for, right? Yeah. Whereas in the the only t- the only time where that sort of is played with a little bit is the is is the um, Hudson trying to read the tracker and they can't and and when they're like that's inside the room it's impossible you're not you can't you you know maybe we don't maybe we're not seeing them but even that is not the same sort of thing as the sort of shock of seeing the sort of fully matured xenomorph that you see when it attacks harry dean stanton you know um and even then you really only see it partially. So it's, I think that's, that's the thing. Um, 
if we're talking about like the breakdown of borders um between what's inside and outside as being the source of horror that's very different than being able to identify good guys and bad guys right and and that's what happens in cameron's film it's basically you 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 already know what the alien kind of looks like from the previous film and so you can tell like when there's a bunch of bad guys Right. That's what they're doing. They're shooting a bunch of bad guys. They're trying to keep the bad guys from going here. They're, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's the mystery is sort of just gone like this. Yeah, like you said, if the first movie collapses binaries, this one reinforces them. Mm-hmm. Um, I even I mean, there are actually so many things about this on this rewatch. Where I was like, nah, I don't love that. Like, I don't actually like that Ripley has a mother backstory. Um, yeah, I, you don't need it. You don't need it. I liked it a lot better when she was just a crew member, a random crew member who is a, like just a woman doing a job. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need there to be some kind of like clergy backstory with mm-hmm. a daughter who died. Um, and then, you know, oh, this child comes into her life. And right. uh, yeah, I don't I didn't love that. I didn't love the I thought that the androids, the synthetic humans should stay scary. Mm-hmm. I didn't love that they tried to like rehab that in the second mm-hmm. one so that Sigourney has like PTSD from an android. But now, you know, she makes friends with Bishop and mm-hmm. they have like a healing relationship. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of corny. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, think it, it well, makes it not the, as abject. Hey, Annie, not all androids. Yeah, <laughs> it was very much that. It was very much like she's like, "There's an android. There's a synthetic on it. Nobody told me that." And I'm like, "Okay, so she's like racist against the android." <laughs> right, yeah, it was right. very. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, cool. well, the last one that she encountered like shoved a magazine in in her mouth and uh and ripped her hair out yeah and was trying, you know yeah. um and 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 then smirked about it to her face telling right. her that it's she was just, going to die it's just the way that they in the first one it's about patriarchal violence and then the way they frame the android violence in the second one is like almost like a racism like some like coming together across differences yeah it it just kind of cheapens it to me yeah well and it also this what you say brings up something else that i really like to think about in relationship to these films which is the overall timeline and and um and so um this is my own like my own bits of nerdiness yes, that really revolve around like how much time has elapsed and it's right, a because... thing that that drives me nuts in films when distance and 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 time are set up in a certain way and then ignored um but if you think about it you know alien takes place basically over a day and a half from when everybody wakes up to when um when ripley gets back back into the pod again that's about a day and a half and then she wakes up on the space station has her various encounters they um in terms of dates that are given on the film there's 
it there's about a month between when she wakes up and when they ship out again. And when she wakes up, it's been 57 years. Right. But for her, subjectively, it's it. It, it, it is still that like, same day. Right, right. right. She, she doesn't she doesn't perceive the 57 years. Right. So so it's like the next day she wakes up on this, uh, you know, she wakes up on this space station, finds out all this stuff, has all of the sort of encounters. The amount of time that she spends on the station is probably about a month. And then she ships out again, goes, you know, goes back to the planet and uh, and the total amount of time that they spend on that on the planet again is, again, a, like maybe two days. Right. So, <laughs> so so like the first three alien movies are kind of the last no more than the last two months of alien uh, of Ripley's life. Right. That's um, kind of a mind fuck when you put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, yeah, so it's like, yeah, yes, she's, yes, she's pissed off at Bishop, because, like, from her mind, like, less than a month ago, right? you know, this tried to kill her, yeah, and lied to her face about, like, Well, that's something that this series actually does very well, is the idea that all this time has passed, but it's still very fresh and new for her uh, in every scenario. And, you know, I feel like this is talked about so much ad nauseum in this particular cultural moment, but I just have to... That that is just the way that trauma functions. It's a time yeah. warp, you know. You, um, you feel that it just happened, but it could have been fifty-seven years ago. So mm-hmm. it's that's what it does to your brain, your neural pathways. So that's very. I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it works very well with the themes of you know rape and motherhood. Well, and with her, yeah, with her behavior, you start to really. And you, you you start to understand it very differently. Yes, and I think when you realize that there was not all this time. I also think that this movie is the most broy installment, mm-hmm. which is so funny because the next one takes place on a male only prison planet. Mm. Uh, but this is definitely the broiest of the movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like it. It's it's the one that says everybody can be a bro. Right. Regardless of regardless of of assigned sex at birth, you can be a bro. And it's got these kind of typical '80s action bro moments, like when Ripley, you know, gets in the that machine. She's like, "I can do that. I can run that loader right there." And mm-hmm. the other guys are like, "You got it." You know, like it's mm-hmm. very you know action. Yeah. Um, it doesn't go over the top with it to the point where it's like so unbearable, but it's got a lot of that in it. That yeah. action fan pleaser moments. Yeah been in my life so long I can't remember anything else now do something for me it's easy just just do what you do Alien 3, Alien to the Third Power. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> move this movie was directed by David Fincher from 1992. Um if if the 
if the second movie is like a broy action movie, what is the vibe of this movie? Um, I, uh, huh. what is the vibe of it? It is a, um, it is a downbeat social drama. Right. Is this. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Annie, let me ask you, um, the, the, um, did you watch the extended cut? I did. Okay, so, and had you seen it before? Yeah, I had. I don't okay, think so, I've seen so, the real, like, I don't think I've seen the theatrical. So but... that's the one that, that's the one that you're familiar with. Yeah. Okay. Um, I saw the, I saw the theatrical cut, and for years, the theatrical cut was what I knew. And there's a lot that, that is very different in the theatrical cut. Um, Fincher famously was not necessarily involved in creating what is what's now known as the sort of extended cut um, but kind of gave it his blessing in a back doorway he had such a bad experience working on this film that he did not and 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 what happened to it um, uh, what the studio did to it that he basically walked away and was like I don't want anything to do with this ever again so um, years later when they were doing the tetralogy and and asking people to do these extended cuts um, he was like no I'm not going to um, somebody else came along and did it and um, and it sort of got his blessing so here's here's my crackpot theory to to sort of like sum all this up is that I love Alien 3 because it is the movie that proves that Ripley is the alien and Ripley is the alien in this universe because she is human that that um and and her the the arc of her appearance over the course of this movie as her head is shaved she starts to resemble the xenomorph more and more um there's there's um there's a lot in this movie where um she talks about it being um part of her for so long that she just doesn't she can't really remember a time before it and yet um, it's been like a few months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but her identification, and I think that's the acknowledgement that sort of is hinted at 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 the in the second movie where she has the line of like, I don't know which species is worse, Burke. You don't see them fucking each other over for a deal. Um, but it's but it comes, I think, full cycle in this, um, in that. Um, she finds herself in this population of um, people who have been discarded by the company, um, whose whose value is only the extent to which they can um, produce some level of value f for the corporate structure, and um, and her own attempts to live humanely. And to assert values of care in the in this universe are the thing that mark her as being like distinct and alien from it. Mm. So that's you know so so this is the place where I feel like it's less about mothering and birth, although there is a, a certain amount of that, 
but it is really about what it means to be um, human in a universe that is um, inherently anti-human. And capitalism um, is anti-human for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, absolutely. This movie is really like focuses on this, the, the relationship between the prison industrial complex and capitalism mm-hmm. and religion, how religion feeds people into both of those systems. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite radical <laughs> in that way. <laughs> and nothing like this could be made now, like in a major franchise, I mean, not, mm-hmm. in, not in general, but like an, 11 year old is autopsied for god's sake yeah (laughs) yeah and i'm i mean that's and 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 ripley's profound at that point in cynicism i mean there is there 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 is in some ways, a lot of Christianity in the film and a lot of Christian imagery in the film. Oh, for sure. The um, sacrifice there, at the end. Yeah. There's and and that is sort of Ripley's doubting Thomas moment, right? Where um where the the corpse of Newt is laid out in in front of her and she's demanding an autopsy. She's demanding that it be cut open. She wants to she she wants to see the wound because she's encountered all of these um, people who have been inhabited, you know, she's in, she she knows that the surface appearance doesn't um, guarantee that the person is human, right? Um, and the sort of the like that I remember at the time, like seeing that in the theater and being like, this scene is like this is a dead child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's really dark. I mean, it's very di- the tone is so different from the second one because mm-hmm. the second one ends on a very hopeful note and this begins with um Ripley and Hicks and Bishop and Nude have crashed on this prison planet which is only inhabited by men who I believe have a genetic mutation that makes them antisocial. That is what it says on the Wikipedia, but it never huh. I didn't know that because they don't say that in the film. Yeah, I don't I there I I just got the sense that they were um like lifer um that that they were supposedly lifer types. It's that... like the Australia of space. Yes. Yeah, like yes. they're just getting thrown on this prison planet and doing hard labor. Yeah. Um and they're all like abject people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a, a prison planet that's cut cl- that's closing down that had been at one point the population was like five thousand inmates and now it's like 50 or something like that and the only people who are really left are part of this cult this religious mm-hmm. cult um and they're also i mean as soon as ripley arrives and she's the only survivor the other people in, from aliens are dead um and as soon as she arrives she's immediately treated like an alien like you said mm-hmm. like she is a force it's it's so i mean they're treating her as women are often treated which is like this alien force that's going to infect men mm-hmm. when it's the, the ultimate irony is that of course it's this um 
monster that this beast mm. they call it the beast in this film which they don't do in the other ones um mm. this beast that is the actual problem that nobody will believe this woman about <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah and and i mean the the initial premise for the film was it, i think a smart one which was basically like okay given how big cameron's film is you can't go bigger right it's it's pointless to be like oh well we'll have even more but like an even more powerful military come in and we'll you know that'll just get we'll we'll have better weapons and we'll that'll take care of it it's like okay so what happens if a culture that had none that had no technology that had none of these gadgets had to deal with um a xenomorph Right. Um, and there's sort of a there's there were a lot of passes at the script. The sort of the most famous one is a pass by William Gibson um, that initially postulated that the planet wouldn't even have would would basically be like the forest moon of Endor, where everything was like made of wood, like what like where you literally like you everything that you had previously to fight the alien you didn't have and couldn't use. Um, and uh, and and I think that's a really interesting idea i do think that fincher is a person who is really drawn to religious imagery um and also very um very concerned with ideas around uh around faith um and and belief you know um and uh and um and sort of the impossibility of redemption which i think is in a lot of his i mean i think it's there in seven and and you know in in a lot of other um a lot of his other movies and so this movie sort of orbits around that it's like this is a population that nobody cares about they they claim to have a kind of faith it's not really clear like what the actual belief is the 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 wardens who are left on the thing scoff at it as a kind of um you know uh um uh, you know apocalyptic minded millenarianism that sort of keeps them all in line um uh you know, allows them to kind of discipline themselves in a very Foucaultian way. Right. <laughs> yes, it's very Foucault, like very Panopticon. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's like a there's even a the the way that the there's a couple of scenes where there's it is very Panopticon ish mm-hmm. with the, the the warden in the center and mm-hmm. the inmates all around in a circle or you know. N- that that's the scene where they're doing the funeral for newt and Mm. the alien you know it's that very kind of typical like contrast with death and rebirth of the alien coming Mm. out of that cattle Mm. uh yeah so there's very and then of course at the end ripley sacrifices herself for the sins of everyone else Mm. (laughs) yeah i mean one big difference i mean we can we can cut around to the and well, uh, 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 well, maybe maybe we'll talk about that later on because that imagery, 
the imagery of the extended cut, I think, is a ha, that's my one place of frustration mm. with it. So, so tell me um, what about some of the differences. So, um, there's the the good news is that all of the bull stuff is sort of there is in the extended cut was not in the theatrical cut and the theatrical cut one of the inmates or warders has a dog who's their pet and the dog goes sniffing around the um, escape pod um, and uh, gets attacked by the face hugger. Oh, very much like the thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Sort of wanders off by itself and, um, and you don't have that, you don't have the slaughterhouse scene. You don't have, um, so there is sort of the birth during the, um, during the um, uh, during the funeral, but you also don't have the the um, you don't have the whole trapping it in the um, in the um, mold. Oh, okay. Sequence. So there. So so, and that whole ca- that character, the character who like. Um, goes out and is with two companions and sees uh, is the first to sort of see the full xenomorph and sees it kill the two companions um he comes back to he's there in the infirmary but he doesn't do much of anything else he sort of disappears from the film after that and he has and in the extended cut he has like a whole arc Right. Right. Um, oh my god, he must have been so pissed when that came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people were pissed. There's actually there's a great um, there's there's a great um, link that I found from the wiki of the actor who played um, uh, the whose character is nicknamed eighty five. Um in it the the warder the second in command Mm -hmm. warder um he has a really funny reminiscence of like his time shooting the film and his part was originally written one way changed completely he talks about it on the set said sigourney was terrible to him there it was like it was real chaos on the shoot like people were getting apparently they were getting like new pages all the time yeah apparently this is a really chaotic production like you said it went through a million hands the script until it was this story yeah but definitely like his role as a sort of acolyte and and um he's the one who's always calling it the beast and it's sort of it's sort of that's another sort of biblical note right Right. um uh the the dragon the beast um he's he is the one who um uh once they trap it he sets it free uh later on um and sort of dies for it um and then the most important thing is that at the end um as ripley is um going to fall into the boiling lead or the blast furnace which i guess it's the i guess it's the lead at that point mm-hmm. on the gantry um in the extended cut she uh 
makes this cruciform uh, pose and falls backwards off the gantry. In the theatrical cut, the at that moment, the queen that's inside of her that um, bursts from her chest and she grabs it. So she's so she basically has this sort of phallic like she grabs it like sort of trying to hold on to it to make sure that it goes into the fire with her. Um, And so she has this whole sort of like, you know, phallic wrestling with the with the queen as she falls into the. Okay, that's a lot better than the Jesus pose. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I like Like, that more. Like so that again, that moment of identification with the alien right um is made really explicit and um and the uh and the sort of phallic nature of of um the chestburster is there as well yeah so, holding it like a dick yeah like yeah, yeah exactly yeah so, <laughs> yeah so that to me is like a uh you know um and i can and i wonder I could totally see that being put in in retakes because it's like, well, do we really know that it's like a quit that she has a queen inside of her? Like what's going on? Like I, people were confused. Like maybe she it wasn't blah, 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 blah. Um, so um, I can see like, well, let's shoot a scene where you really know that there's a, that there's um, a queen. Um, but I like it because of that. Um point of queer identification right right it's this sort of like the impossibility of this body to exist in in these conditions in this you know in this world she's such a an abject traumatized lesbian body Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. we haven't talked a ton about this yet but the Ripley is coded for so many queer women as queer, mm-hmm. um, specifically as a dyke in these films. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's so androgynous. She is like sort of the epitome of like white, thin, androgynous lesbian beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she never has a um, like a sexual romantic relationship with a man, mm-hmm. uh, which is very rare in films and seems to not be interested in that at all, except if her wiles can get her something. Mm -hmm. Um, And is, yeah, that's, it's just very present there. I mean, the, the idea of also lesbian motherhood of like, you know, in the, I, what I find the most interesting about the second movie is the relationship with Newt and Mm. this, um, you know, I don't need her having been a mother before that. Like, that kind of cheapens it for me. Mm-hmm. I like this idea of, like, Newt is such a queer name, too. I like mm-hmm. this idea of this intergenerational queer androgynous women, you know, mm-hmm. and that being the the, the the motherhood that Ripley has. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also has this abject motherhood, you know. We think of the lesbian body as, like, abject because – heterosexuality thinks of the lesbian body as barren or like Mm -hmm. you know away from real womanhood because they're not you know the 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 dyke is not being impregnated traditionally in the traditional sense um so it's almost like Mm -hmm. this apotheosis of like this abject queerness inside of her Mm mm-hmm 
but also paired with a kind of excess mm. like that like that the that 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 the thing that is uh, you know horrifying about um lesbianism is that it makes men superfluous right right that it, that and and the idea that it would the idea that it would make men unnecessary for um for you know for procreation is the you know is the horror of it right yeah um for pay again for patriarchy (laughs) right i mean this mother is the ultimate male horror right i mean for us we're like yeah (laughs) but that's the horror in these movies that this is that the mother is parthenogenic yeah like she reproduces by herself we don't know how the aliens have sex we don't think of them as doing that they're in almost insectoid and yeah yeah, they just lay eggs um Mm -hmm. so it's yeah, it's very again the abject mother, the mother that needs no phallus. Um, yeah, she's ca- well, in fact it, castrates. Yeah, it, and and also at the same time, these films launched a. Um, I, I in the same way that um, Disney's Robin Hood launched um, generations of furries. Um, <laughs> these movies launched. Um, a generation of people with an ovipositor fetish. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> so, so the idea, the desire for different organs, you know, also the comes from these these films, right? Oh yeah. Um. So that's you know I think that's the other side of the coin and why it's so sort of interesting for me right yes it's also very trans um, yeah like in that gender is completely collapsed with the xenomorph it's genderless but also like phallic and vaginal yeah um there's uh yeah well as as i as i named my um my 30 year retrospective there are no wrong holes there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, patriarchy exists to tell us that there are cor- correct holes and wrong holes, and there are no wrong holes. There are no wrong um, holes. <laughs> and being impregnated by an alien with an egg is a completely valid sexuality. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, I mean, literally, like, I this movie definitely made me interested in those ovipositor toys Mm -hmm. like for sure and it's so interesting too like showing the first movie to my patrons who are all like queer freaks everybody Mm -hmm. is like drooling over the xenomorph it's just so Uh funny how queer people are so horny for the alien yeah well, because we we glimpse in it the thing that is outside of the societal strictures that we have to negotiate all the time. Yes, and um, you know, I I think that um, I I think one of the things that's um, that's interesting uh, in this movie is that Ripley consistently like 
as she like she basically comes to fit in with um this uh this group you know that 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 wanted to rape her before <laughs> that wanted to rape her before right that but but it becomes like um it becomes like she is like them at a certain point um and uh and in part it's because she demonstrates care for them mothering right yeah yeah she yeah she comes to um i mean she looks like them because everybody has to look that way because of all the lice on the planet her whole dialogue with with charles dutton's character who we haven't we haven't really talked about much at all who i, who I think is an interesting um character in he, here because he he's, is yeah because he professes to be a rapist yeah um, yeah, and yet is kind of the only guy there that doesn't show any signs of that. Well, he's yeah. He says you don't want to know me. I'm a murderer and and raper of women, and and Sigourney's and and Ripley's reply to that, which is, um, well, then I must make you nervous. <laughs> um, is you know is is a a great piece of dialogue. Um, because in part, it is like, I must make you nervous because you probably don't know if I'm a woman or not. Right. I mean, the the desire for her is very homoerotic. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. other. Because she looks like a boy. She looks like a twinky guy in this yeah, movie. Yeah, and, and, and when they, they basically have, they're going to take her from behind at yes. that point. Well, it also brings to mind something that is unspoken in this film, which they kind of... I don't know if they hint at it or I'm just going there because I'm queer, mm -hmm. but they say that that's this, you know, this, you bring a problem here that hasn't been brought to us before because these guys don't, they don't have, they don't interact with women. And it, it's kind of like the viewer is like, well, they're certainly raping each other. Yeah. You know, like, or, or, or that maybe that's what they're like, like they're, it Dutton says like they've taken a vow of chastity um it's you know especially with women right um, you know and and maybe it's like they've been able to sort of work out their own like what their own like you know queer interactions are like right um yeah i i think that but but i i think you're you're pointing to the fact that um her and and we're really used to sort of the you know the way that the final girl is coded like the you know in in carol clover it's like both the final girl and the creature the the killer are placed in um are, are given in aspects of ambiguous gender yes yeah um the final girl so, usually with like a tomboyish nickname right or the way that she dresses and the, you know this is all from carol clover men women and chainsaw that nayland is referencing mm -hmm. um and then the killer like um norman bates or uh leatherface or you know they, they have some kind of like mm. dim like monstrous feminine aspect to them yeah exactly um, and so, uh, you know, here's a, um, 
here's a situation where Ripley is given that, right? Where where Ripley is, um, you know, appears more like the other prisoners and um, and more like the xenomorph. Yeah. Um, in this film than in any other film. Um, and uh, and and ultimately can't get either of them to kill her. Like she asks yes. Charles Dutton to kill her. And that interaction and, is so great. He's like, kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes and, and she's like, I've tried, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. Um, and she goes to try to get the xenomorph to kill her and it won't kill her. Right. Because it knows that she has a queen inside. Right. She's very also cynical in this movie, but like not does not reach the cynicism of the the prisoners because she wants to die so that she can save mm-hmm. humanity still right like she does yeah. not want the company she she has the option of the company like taking the alien out of her i mean of course she doesn't know if they're going to kill her or not because they could be lying but they tempt her with this, this idea of like we could take the alien out of you and you could go and live your life and you know you could have a you don't have to do this anymore and she's chooses the well, righteous option <laughs> yeah i mean that is literally out of the bible that is yes. that is christ being tempted in the desert is yes. is them going like you don't have to go through this you don't have to suffer this you don't have to you don't have to have pain um and uh and i always took that as like that's all lies that's they they yeah that same. is bullshit and she like, knows it <laughs> like, and then, yeah but it's still tempting her as she stands on this precipice mm-hmm. because it's such a you know that it's she's about to die so it's like okay this is really it you know it's but and it's still a a temptation but of course you don't believe it because it's coming from the man who invented bishop right Uh, (laughs) right i think that yeah it's a little bit hard to tell how that um is i i don't believe that that's actually who that is i think that's another bishop android um oh with yeah a, even with when a, he gets shot and he's like i'm not an android yeah i i know i think that it's i think it's a, a i think it's another bishop android because how old would that guy be so old like yeah he would be <laughs> he would be that much older i you know i i think that it's yeah i'm i'm that's that's my own wonky theory on that but um i you know and also, like, would you risk somebody with that much um, clout in the organization on a mission like this? Mm. Right. Like, like, they, like when they say, "I wanted to," we wanted to send a familiar face. Wait a minute. Like, the like from what we saw, like in the last movie, she only gained an an affection for Bishop in like the last. Yeah, when he's you like know, severed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, I mean, that whole thing is also, I mean, when she kills Bishop, that's also very biblical as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just the, yes, the whole, I mean, she's a, an androgynous Jesus figure. Yeah. 
Um, so, and and that's the thing. It's like she's she is the thing that is out of step with the rest of this uh, the rest of this universe. And then it's two hundred years later. <laughs> <laughs> Queen. How did you know that? She'll breed. You'll die. Everyone in the company will die. In the in the in the company? Wayland, Utani. So I obviously don't I don't want to spend as much time on Alien Resurrection, but I do want to talk about it. I don't want to spend as much time on it because I don't like it that much. Um but it's like like Nalen said, it takes place two hundred years later. Um, I also did want to mention that in Alien Three, um, the creature design was done with rotoscoping, mm. um, puppetry, and rotoscoping, which I don't act, I don't think is that great. I think that's one of the weaker things about the third movie. And then in this movie, the aliens are fully like CGI. It's the mm. first CGI aliens in the series, which. You know, I'd, it, it takes away from a lot of the majesty of it or like why people love these movies. But, yeah. Um, but I mean, interestingly, the CGI aliens were made by the people who did Joe's apartment. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. But this movie, this is directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet um, from 1997, and it's written by Joss Whedon. And it's very right. Joss Whedon-y. So let's so so. That part I didn't really put together until this latest rewatch. Mm. Like I was not, I'm, I'm not of the generation that cared about. I, I've never been able to get into Buffy. Like I, like I've never been like a big like Whedon whatever. So it didn't, it didn't really stick out to me. But, but first of all, let's just say like it is, it's practically twenty years since the first film. Right. Like and and a lot has changed in the society in the interim. Yeah, um, I like uh, I I like um, uh, I like Junet's other films. Um, not so much Amelie, um, <laughs> but um, but I I really like Delicatessen. Oh, I love Delicatessen. Yeah, you know and. Um, and it's kind of like he basically brought his ensemble onto this film. Right. I just think the and Joss Whedon dialogue takes over. Yes. Yeah. And like, the, like it's full of gags yeah. in a really irritating way. And um, it's it, the demands of it being an action film I I think probably one of the big complaints against Alien 3 was that it's not like where's the action like where's the explosion where's the guns where's the where's the, you know And that's what I like about the... it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is that it's like no it's it as I said it's like a class conscious prison drama. Right. <laughs> but but where but th for this film I think that part of the brief was like it's this is gonna, an action movie. Yeah. yeah, it's an action movie, and um, and it's, um, it you know I think I don't I don't think that Jue has actually does like a great job directing action movies. I don't think any of his other movies really are. They're really like weird, 
um, almost like proto Wes Anderson-ish um, jewel box um, quirky comedies. Right. And it would have been interesting to make an alien movie that was that. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but we get like dribs and drabs of that stuck in with this action thing. And um, there's a part where the one of the scientists, I cannot remember the actor's name for the life of me, is like making faces at the alien. Brad Dourif, the great Brad Dourif. Yes. Oh my God, is that Brad Dourif? Is that yes. really him? Oh my god, yes. he looks so young. Scrime a worm tongue. And actually this made me I I um I'm I I don't necessarily want to pitch myself for future stuff, but I wanted to ask you, Annie, have you ever done Eyes of Laura Mars? No, but I would love to have you on to do Eyes of Laura Mars. Please I pitch mean, yourself. Talk about Giallo. Yeah, it's, like, for me, it's really more like, will Nayland come back? I don't know. I mean, they're they're, they're well, a busy I would, person. I, would, I mean, I I I love I I love Alien, and we have and we can we can like. When we talk about four, we can talk about porn a little bit more. But, but um, eyes of Laura Mars, I die for. It is it's the, it one is of my so, all-time favorites. It's the most incredible movie. It's so good. I would love to have you on to do that. It's one of my yeah, all-time yeah. favorites. <laughs> All right, future date. Yeah. But also with like a a, a yummy, cute, scruffy young Brad Dourif. Yes. Yeah. He's so cute in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in this, there's the moment of the moment of weird Jean-Pierre Genet moment. In this is when he's like doing making those faces at the alien and like yeah. imitating it, and it's all it's very weird, weird, and um, he's having like this weird, creepy relationship with mm-hmm. his alien pet. Yeah. yeah, that's that's some of the best stuff. That's kind of un where, where it's like again, like I don't know where this is going. I don't understand. Like I know like I wanted to go more into that, but it just becomes an action movie. Um, yeah, I, I think that the strongest part of this movie, or the moments that I like the most, are how it actually it actually gets pretty sapphic with Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver and Winona Ryder. Winona, Winona Ryder plays an android, a synthetic who, um, you know, this movie deals a lot more, of course, because it's Joss Whedon. It deals a lot more with. Um, androids and mm. uh, the nature of like what it means to be human but in a different way than David Fincher does um, and the Winona Ryder is this android that is like made by other androids so mm. in this version of the future now that it's 200 years later people aren't really using synthetics anymore because we kind of get the idea that some kind of terminator situation has happened where mm. synthetics were making other androids and there was something fucked up with their programming quote unquote because they're too independent so mm. winona Ryder is like a is an independent uh android that still has programming that she is aware of Mm -hmm. um and speaks about in a sort of very existential way and her and sigourney have a bunch of conversations and moments talking about because because sigourney weaver uh, ripley is a clone in this movie it's not the real ripley but she still has all of her um somatic memories not necessarily linear memories Mm. but she there's intergenerational trauma and that her body remembers Mm -hmm. what happened to her and it also shares aspects with 
um, with the queen alien. Right. So, so, so again, it's your a combination theory, of Ripley. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, her, it's, it's very, uh, it's a very mommy slash girl relationship that she's got with Winona. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. It's very mommy girl. Um, It's, it's the movie that emphasizes Ripley's queerness the most. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's actually a love interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, for all intents and purposes, call Winona's character a love interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, Sigourney Weaver looks really hot in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some great costuming. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's stylishly, it's, it's fine. I, I, um, I do, uh, I think probably my favorite shot in it is um, uh, like Sigourney underwater um, moving her head back and forth as she watches the the swimming aliens like. I do love the swimming aliens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, why can they swim? <laughs> I mean, who knows? We, yeah. we never, you know, I mean, we never saw them not swim. Right, exactly. That's the moment where you're like, I guess we never saw them be averse to water. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then there's like the weird, there's like, I think, what I don't know how you think about it, but the really stupid alien-human creature thing at the end. Well, that's an, an interesting thing because that, creature like the original creature design as shot um was hermaphroditic had Ah. had um had male and female genitalia um very prominent in the design jouet shot it that way and then looked at the footage and was like no we have to change this and so it's basically been digitally erased wow Um, yeah 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 it's um it's been uh it's been taken out so um, it was shot with a dick and a vagina Um, on screen like like genitalia that has aspects of both okay that's also a different color than the like the original designs like it's like the genitalia is like reddish i mean it's like it seems to be like sort of engorged and yeah yeah um, that see that one then I would have liked the creature. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sort of like they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Because that's the moment at which the um the the imperative of the film and 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 Whedon's script initially had like a, a final act on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, which they decided was too expensive to shoot and they weren't they weren't gonna they kept trying to do it and then it was like it didn't make any sense so they were not doing it so the imperative of the film is that some for some reason so the the ripley clone wants to save earth but there's absolutely no reason why she should have any allegiance to earth yeah why would she and, even know and, what earth is yeah and so her decisions like all of her sort of interactions with the 
alien hive and then her i mean there is a wonderful image of sort of the the dissolution and absorption like there's sort of the porn orgy scene Mm -hmm. in the sort of like alien womb hive towards the end but then all of her interactions with the offspring are so um weird like there's like like no it's unclear why anybody has the motivations that they do yes except that the narrative needs to go in a certain way and everything else that's been set up is like no there's no like like why do any of these characters want this right i would have liked to see ripley more join forces with the alien as like her child yeah 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 and yeah well if it had been a larry cohen movie that's what what would have happened right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wanted it to be even more like if you're gonna go there with this clone character i want it to be even more perverted and of course like you said there's this these incest sort of themes too Mm -hmm. in the the porny scene with the mm-hmm. orgy uh and yeah like a lot of really interesting kernels of ideas um yeah that ultimately i think i just like dislike joss whedon so much that i'm just like ugh, rolling my eyes at his dialogue yeah. um yeah dan i like dan hedaya is really weird in it and and like i you know i'm it's like okay so this guy's an asshole like we had like how many different times do we have to hear him be an asshole and yeah it's an it's it's um like we Ron also have man also yeah just yeah 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 <laughs> there is some some i think some queer coding among the scientists mm. and um, they're kind of effete and, yeah yeah i mean and that's yeah. they're definitely like the the masculine men are coded that way who are military mm. and then like the but that's a theme throughout all these movies i feel like is um some very perhaps inadvertent coding of like you know because jewish men are also coded as queer because of their mm-hmm. mannerisms and that happens too in aliens where paul mm-hmm. reiser is coded as queer simply because he is outside of this familial order mm-hmm. um and he's like this effete you know jewish man and mm. yeah that happens and uh, that happens a lot in these movies <laughs> yeah 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 i think it's um it 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 remains really unsatisfying because it can't really decide what it wants to be um right. in 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 one way or another and it doesn't have the courage to be um really fuck you to the to um the order even though like we've seen that this universe is um corrupt and 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 um and anti-human at its core um but still somehow we're expected to root for it um 
I don't want it to survive. To the alien, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, why? I want the <laughs> this. This was the movie where I wanted the alien to win the most. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. other ones, you're you actually are rooting for the protagonists, even though we love the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, you're straight up like, no, you should yeah. kill all of these people. <laughs> Yeah, they're all they're they're all yeah. schmucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this is a, this also it leads me to, I think, an interesting motif in all of these films that, in every one, ex, um, in in every one, there's a moment where a character turns to other characters and says, "Please kill me." Hmm. Um, like right, that yeah. happens like in in the um in the in the deleted footage in in alien mm-hmm. um the they cocoon, find Dallas yeah. yeah they find Dallas cocooned and Dallas is like please kill me yeah um you know in uh in aliens it's Ripley says it once in the dream sequence and then says it and then it, and then one of the colonists says it mm-hmm. who's been who's been cocooned mm-hmm. um it maybe it doesn't happen in alien 3 although i oh it I, does bishop he uh, he oh, begs yeah, to be killed right. yeah, the, yeah yeah she begs yeah. to be shut down yes yeah and then and then there's the version of the ripley clone that is um in alien 4 who uh, alien resurrection who who begs to be killed mm, i mean um, suicide is a big theme in all of these two. <laughs> yeah well it's like what do you do when you when when you are in a universe of horror yeah it's very i mean ripley comes to that realization through all of the films increasingly you know mm-hmm. she starts out in the first one as like someone who's just doing her job like mm-hmm. maybe on a you know sort of bl- like blissfully ignoring these capitalist elements mm-hmm. of the horrors that she lives every day and by the end you know she's a completely different person mm-hmm. transformed through trauma mm-hmm. and just various horrors and is very uh, she's complete she's acts different you know in the first movie she's much i mean she just completely changes like mm-hmm. her clone is very it's not her you know and you can yeah you can tell it's not the original yeah ripley and sigourney weaver's acting and she just gets more and more like in the by the third movie she's like uh, somebody makes a joke about putting her head through the wall and she's like please yeah like please yeah do me the do me the favor yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's like I am trying to die here <laughs> yeah. like I don't want to be here yeah um and it was I found it like uh it, at this present moment in time with how everything how awful everything is um i just found it very relatable like mm-hmm. just you know this kind of passive suicidality of like i'm doing what i need to do but like i don't really want to be here mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah i yeah. kind of wish that resurrection was not an alien movie mm. like if it like if it, it was... was just about her as a clone well, or that, or or if it was about these characters and this story, but it wasn't tied to the alien universe. Mm. I think that it's. I think it's the expectations of what an alien story is that that um, somehow trip up the the fourth 
film and the sort of disagreement about like what an alien film is supposed to be. Right. Um, like I think that I feel like Joy could have made an interesting film with all of these elements, but the drive for to it to be alien is is what becomes the real problem. Even because if was... I do feel like that the that the first three films actually do tell a complete story. I do too, yeah. Yeah, and then this one I mean, even if this film had just been there's the alien element, mm -hmm. like maybe they're experimenting on them and they're like specimens, but mm -hmm. it's it's not what the action culminates around. Yeah, um, or imagine if they had other species in oh, the 200 yeah. years that it that had transpired that there were other like deadly or, or other species that they were trying to weaponize. Yeah. Right. And maybe that clones been... are one also. Yeah. Maybe Sigourney is. I mean, she is kind of being weaponized. Like you see that at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have liked that for that to be pushed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else that we didn't discuss? No. Well, let's talk about like the porn part. I mean, there's it. One thing that is interesting is that these films get successively goopier as they go. Yeah. Talk to what are you I thinking? Sort of, it's well, it's interesting to me that the the first film. It's only um, Dallas who discovers the spooge as the alien present as as signifying the alien presence mm. uh, like up to that point there's no like there like people have found like the shed um carapaces of the other forms of the alien but um it's when Dallas is in the air air shafts um that he finds like some goop that he picks up on his fingers that that signals that the alien is in there with him yeah and that becomes as much of a trademark of the franchise as anything else mm -hmm. the semen um, yeah yeah so to the point where there's just like a lot of it by the time you <laughs> you get to jouer there's like there is that sort of like weird orgy scene where um where you know everybody's getting kind of or where like ripley is kind of getting like greased up in it in the in in the midst of it um and uh you know i you know come in porn is like evidence mm -hmm. that real sex is going on you know that real straight sex is going on right <laughs> Yeah. Um and uh and it's weird how it becomes this kind of signifier for um danger and horror that even when the films don't really live up to that it's like it becomes this this sort of marker of like oh yeah oh we're there's we we still are like worried about the alien or whatever instead of this being in the first film it's it's really like what now like what like like and it's what, mystery uh, in the way that 
bodily fluids are mysterious to a child. Mm-hmm. Like it's very Freudian, you know, the monstrous feminine Barbara Creed stuff really comes mm-hmm. in there, like witnessing um, fluids and penetrations that you don't mm-hmm. understand and that being at the center of like the horror of sex, yeah. like how scary sex actually is, how gross it actually is. Um, and yeah, the other films just don't really, even though they get really gooey, like this one is very gooey. I mean, there is the 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 part where Ripley is getting greased up, and then there's also the part where Ripley sort of puts her hand in Winona's hole, like mm. in her chest. Mm-hmm. Um, her aunt, like that, since discovers that she's not human, she's an android. Yeah. So there's a lot more penetration in this one than you know, Alien, um, Aliens and Alien Three kind of move away from that. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, we get the penetration and we get the wet. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like when I was watching these and like how pornographic I alien is, I was like, I can't believe I'm like allowed to watch this. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's so mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think the first one is the most pornographic personally, just because I think there's something to the idea of um like the shadowiness of it as being part of the pornography, mm-hmm. like the seediness of it, the mm-hmm. mystery of it, the like having to look behind a hand, you know, it's it's all yeah. like very it's very much there and it's um yeah, you almost feel like you're watching something you're not supposed to be watching. Mm-hmm. Like when the face hugger first jumps onto Ash's face and strangles him and penetrates his mouth, you know, you really mm-hmm. feel like you're watching something forbidden in the way that you feel when you watch porn. Yeah. Perhaps Definitely. even more so because it's monstrous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it. I'm just reminded of um, a really interesting well, I don't know how interesting it is. A, a very um, weird exploitation movie from this period um, called Breeders. Ooh, never heard of that. Uh, um, it's you can find you it it you can find it. It is. Um, it was actually made by um, Joe Gage, actually under a different name. Um, it's it's kind of like Chud. Except if Chud didn't have a budget, <laughs> and Chud already barely has a budget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this gives you. I'm, I'm trying to adjust your expectations, <laughs> but the plot of it is um, uh, women in New York being abducted, and there's and there's and some creature attacking them, and you find out at the end that it is an alien creature that is. Um, uh, you know, collecting these women to impregnate them, and the impregnation scene is them these these women sort of topless in a in a a barely disguised kiddie pool. It's like a proto bukake movie, <laughs> <laughs> and like them sort of like rubbing this like goo on themselves as like you know in their in their excitement of 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 alien fertilization. I wonder if they got the title from like gay community. Like I wonder I mean, if they were like, that's the, funny, the, let's use it. Listen, it's 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 Joe Gage, so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you might want to take a look at it. It's really I haven't I mean I saw it like decades ago, but um I haven't I haven't rewatched it. It might be um a little bit too much. But um <laughs> but you know I know who I'm saying that to. So. Yeah, right. So just lower your expectations. Yeah. Um. So anyway, probably my new favorite movie, Breeders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna search for that. I mean, there's also one called like Inseminoids, which yeah, is yeah. very similar. Yeah. Um. Very. I mean, there's a whole group of people who fantasize about being inseminated by aliens i feel like that's what a lot of alien abduction um the people people who are really convinced they've been abducted by aliens i think a mm-hmm. lot of it is very elaborate like fetish fantasy play well and also like the desire to claim a sexuality that is above and beyond what's possible yes love that on this on this planet right and that's and and um, and if that's not the queer project, I don't know what is. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a wonderful note to end on because, yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you forever, too, about just alien impregnation in general. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many hours in a day yeah, to go exactly. on impregnation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Nalan, thank you so, so much. This was so wonderful. Um, thank you. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, so I'm I'm honored to be on it. And I would absolutely love to have you back to talk about Eyes of Lore Mars, oh, if you'll have me. Have to. Yeah, I would love that. And, uh, Nail, so, you know, usually I ask guests to tell uh, listeners about their social media, but Nalan Blake is a famous artist. You can, <laughs> you can search as, them. And they, as they're... someone said to me early on, uh, you're Googleable. Yeah, you're very um, Googleable. Their, yeah. their Twitter, and it will come up like immediately. Yeah. Because um, I use my actual name. Yes. So, and, and you can take a look if you want to see what my work looks like. Um, you can take a look at my website, um, uh, Nalan Blake. N-A-Y-L-A-N-D-B-L-A-K-E, all one word, dot net. Amazing. Which is where I'm trying to put energy these days because I'm gone from Instagram. I'm gone from Facebook. I'm like, I'm only on Twitter in terms of social media. I mean, me too at this point, really, because my Instagram got deleted. So I'm... You know, (laughs) consider yourself lucky. It is Honestly, I do. I was like, I'm done. Anyway, I don't care. Like, if I'm going to get, like, if I'm going to get my post reported all the time and get deleted and get pictures of myself deleted for literally just having breasts, I don't care if I'm on there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like... Fine, yeah. have it. Like I'm only on Twitter at this point because there's porn, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like all of my sex worker friends are on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, who knows what's gonna happen with that now that there's Twitter blue and everything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much yeah. That's a good idea. Putting more energy yeah. to your website. I'm trying to do the same as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, you know, it's I'm I'm I mourn the days of Live Journal. Uh, me too. Um, which which was the social media that worked. That was it. We don't need it anymore. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, I I do still have tumblers. So, oh great. Um, 
Um, but, but there are links to those on my website. Cool. Uh, yeah. But um, follow me on Twitter. You get to see me post like goofy gifs and occasional rants about the art world and um, otherwise uplifting content. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make everyone's experience on there a little bit better. You know what? I'm going to take a cue from you and also try to do that because I have a, it's a I nightmare. I have a strict rule. I have a strict rule. I have a I have a two to one ratio. If I post something negative or snarky, I have to post two positive things. Okay, I love that. I'm gonna do that because it really <laughs> is brain rot. It really is. Like, yes. If if anybody, I mean, if you guys are on Twitter or anything, you know, like it is. It is designed to make you angry and upset mm. and to keep coming back for more. And you really do have to like uh, fight the brain rot of that. If you mm. have to use it for work like I do, it brings a lot of income to me. So yeah. at this point, I can't really stop using it. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, just using it more consciously. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. But. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank Annie. you. This has been a real, a real treat. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you next time when we talk about yeah. Eyes of Laura Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Oh, wait a minute. There's. I guess I will. Can I plug one other thing? Paul, please. I um I am a a, a recurring guest on another podcast. Oh. Um, called the Workroom where um, my friends Ernest and Patricia and I um, do recaps of Project Runway. <laughs> yes! Because I am a queer person. <laughs> yes. I love that. I want to yep. listen to I don't even watch Project Runway anymore. Is it still on? It is still on. We're in the middle of a new season. Like, you get exhaustive recaps from us it's it's like, like it's a one-hour episode but we go for two hours I <laughs> love episode. but we go deep on like you know um project runway lore and history love that so i mean i love anybody nerding out about anything they love yeah and and out of all reality shows like that's a show that's based on skill it, it, I've always said see. that. Yeah, it's I've, problem yeah. solving. It's yeah. like seeing people solve problems. It's the closest thing to art school on the air that there ever has been. Love it. So I might start watching it again. I haven't watched it in years. I used to be a big fan. You, it's always really easy to dive back in. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, thank you. And um, <laughs> thank you for being a guest and talking to me. And you all know where to find me. Girls Guts Jallo everywhere. Uh, and I'll see you guys next month. <laughs>